0: you're listening to future thinking from stylus the show where our analysts alongside industry thought leaders unpack the big trends you need to know about find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com hi and welcome to future thinking from stylus i'm your host amelia morana williams stylus's u.s editor COVID 19 has disrupted relationships across the board from workplace water cooler moments becoming awkward Zoom meetings, to the physical distance between families and friends. But what effect is it having on people's sexual well-being and desire? Whether in a couple looking for a hookup or happy flying solo, how has the pandemic affected consumer sex lives? To explore these questions, I am joined by Liz Klinger, co-founder and CEO of Lioness, a sex tech company that helps people gain a better understanding of their pleasure. We'll be discussing the truth behind those skyrocketing sex toy purchase stats from the start of the pandemic and learn what Lioness found out during its inaugural pandemic sex survey. We're also joined by Elspeth Taylor, Assistant Editor of Consumer Attitudes and Technology here at Stylist, and she'll discuss what COVID's impact on sex and desire means for consumers and brands. So before we dive into all of that, Liz, can you give us an overview of what Lioness does and what its mission is?
1: Sure, yeah. Thanks for, well first, thanks for having me, uh, both of you. And Lioness, in a nutshell, is a sexual wellness company. And our first product uh, is a biofeedback smart vibrator that can help people learn more about their own bodies, their own arousal, their orgasms, through data. On an app.
0: And so can you tell us a little bit about how the vibrator and especially the paired app works? You know, what kind of data are people
1: getting? If you look up a picture of Lioness, on the surface level, it looks like a typical vibrator, but in the in the inside of the vibrator, how it's designed, it, it actually has a whole suite of different types of sensors, technology that's more akin to a an early smartphone rather than a typical vibrator that would be like battery switch vibration. The technological design of it is much more complex on the inside, but built to be easy for, for people to use. So how it essentially works is the, the main sensors, the, the stars of the show that I like to say, are basically these force sensors that are able to see how your pelvic floor is moving during a session and what an orgasm is or how it is measured with this product. Is or with Lioness, is that there's a particular pattern of pelvic floor contractions that occur during orgasm. It's about one to two hertz, and it's basically a pattern that when you see in a an entire session on a on a graph over time, you're able to pick out these different rhythms that are more like or that are that are basically orgasm or even at some points uh, closer or further from orgasm or from different stages of uh, sexual arousal. So that's, that's basically how the the physiological part, the, the technology, the technological part of Linus works. And then, uh, but the user doesn't have to think about that. Like when you're using it, cause that, that's a lot of stuff, right? The, the user just, if they want to see what a session looks like, they just use the vibrator, like a typical vibrator. And then if they want to see what a session looks like, they just go to their app and sync their vibrator to the app, pretty much like any other sort of IoT type product for the most part. Why this is this matters and why it's important is, it's basically doing uh, what a sex diary would do for people. So if you talk to different sex coaches or sex therapists and if they find that a client has a question about, about their sex life or they're looking to improve something or they they just want to understand their themselves better, one thing that they will typically recommend is using a sex diary. So like being able to note and track what happens when you when you try different things. The challenge with a sex diary though, uh, similar to like a food diary, is how do you track, how do you track it? <laughs> like how do you track food and ingredients? It's just a lot of work. Same sort of thing with the sex diary. So uh, what Lioness is able to do is automate that more where it's automatically tracking a session. There's also an ability for people to add in notes and tags about their experience. So you can add more of that. What was this experience like? What does a good experience look like for me? So over time, you can see these different experiences and get a sense of what is for, for yourself as an individual, what is a good experience and what might be less good or not good experience for me? Since also there's a whole nother layer of it of this is this is an experience that is very individual for different people. Like what is the, a good experience for someone is not necessarily the same for another person. So we try to keep it more individual individualized as opposed to like having it be like, oh, there's some sort of perfect experience that everyone needs to aspire to.
0: Fascinating. So, we've been tracking the development of sex tech over the last few years here at Stylus, and we've seen it move from something that's like really a taboo subject to an industry sector that's getting real attention and investment. So, Elspeth, I'm curious, how do you see this lioness vibrator resonating with your coverage of tech events and pleasure devices in recent years?
2: Well, that Lioness is part of a really exciting and interesting movement where the technology in sex devices is getting a lot smarter, a lot more naturalistic, and more in tune with people's needs. And the great thing about the Lioness Vibrator and its app is that it truly empowers consumers with the information that they need to understand their experience of pleasure. That way, individuals can Get to know their triggers, as Liz said, understand what makes them feel good and what extends or truncates the session. And Lioness also provides lots lots of great guides on their website. Before we started the recording, we were talking about how great the TikTok videos are that are created by Anna, one of Lioness's engineers, which inform people about how the device works works, but also explores really fun experiments like the effect of alcohol or marijuana on orgasms. And in that way, Lioness provides a much more holistic experience than just a standalone vibrator and shows the team's dedication to helping users achieve the most amount of pleasure possible.
0: You also did a three minute trend video that looked at courtship during quarantine. I'm curious to see how you see the dating and sex landscape evolving since then and how that relates to the information that people are going to glean when they're using tools like this.
2: Well, at the start of the pandemic, dating became this hugely visible industry as apps and dating platforms suddenly had to account for social distancing measures and providing better virtual dating applications, such as app-integrated video calling. But we also heard many reports of the huge surge in sex toy purchases. I mean, I saw one stat that was a 300% increase in product purchases in New Zealand alone, but then everything went sort of quiet on that front. There were many op-eds about what social isolation was doing about our work lives and our friendships and our family life, but not a huge amount of discussion about sex, let alone the effect the pandemic was having on desire, regardless if you're living with a partner or not. And I was covering the Consumer Electronics Show in January, and that's where I learned about Lioness's COVID-19 sex study. And I was very keen to find out what brands that are actually embedded in this interest have discovered about the changes to sex and masturbation and pleasure and desire in a wider sense during COVID-19. And Lioness is so uniquely placed to answer this, owing to the insights that they are able to gain via their smart toys.
0: But can you tell us more about the sex survey, Liz? Like, what inspired the research? What were some of the key findings that you got from it?
1: Yeah. So, for for quick context of how that how the survey came to be in the first place, last year we launched a sex research platform. So basically, it's a way for uh, different researchers, whether in the sciences or uh, healthcare researchers, primarily, or so even sociological researchers, to be able to use real-world data, uh, real-world in the bedroom sex data, as opposed to like lab research data, to be able to draw insights about sexual behavior or sexual the physiology the physiology of sex. And on the flip side, too, users can opt into this or opt into different studies because oftentimes a lot of these require different levels of demographic information that we don't collect ourselves at the company. So that's kind of a sense of like, what, what the research platform is. So what encouraged that research was basically we were, we were seeing reports of, of sex toy sales surging. There's also some other things about like sex toy sales and work. There was actually places where sex toy sales were surging and places where it was plummeting. We we're seeing that and we we're seeing this data. And it's like, I don't know if that's entirely right. So That launched the report. And what we basically did for the report was look at masturbation frequency with the lioness from 2019 to 2020. So to see if there was a a difference in in masturbation usage between those two years. And we did see a, a huge difference. And this is particularly with people who had lioness both in 2019 and 2020. So we're able to remove people, we you're like, not include people who uh, had just bought the lioness in 2020 because we didn't have comparison data. So we we're, fil- and, we, and we started to filter it down more and more to like individual, like, was there an, in, an increase in individual usage from 2019 to 2020? So just to be like doubly sure that as we we're seeing this data and we we're seeing some huge dips in frequency, especially as during the, the height of COVID and uh, particularly in the U.S., and like October through December 2020, we were like, okay, wow, like that is a that was a big difference. So then we also we also put out a survey for some of our users to to answer if they if they wanted to optionally. So it's not the not the exact same group, but it's just users who lioness users if they wanted to to respond to the survey. And we we found that about 80% of those people they found that their both their masturbation and sex habits changed between 2019 and 2020 and a lot of it was less from the actual like the actual virus itself but it was more from the different life changes that people were experiencing because of the pandemic so there was a lot of people moving to different places or moving back with parents or moving sometimes moving with like friends or roommates there was also people who there are also like people who had kids if their kids were staying home all the time it was harder to find time for just to spend time with your partner much less do anything intimate with your partner or do anything by yourself and then also stress and anxiety and all all those fun topics too
0: that's fascinating i've been keeping on saying during the whole pandemic when you know talking about how people are experiencing it. There are just so many different spectrums of what's going on in day-to-day life to people. So it's really interesting to see how that's playing out in terms of sexual desire and activity. But I'm curious how you use this data as a brand to serve your consumers and how it might influence larger decisions.
1: It's more for uh, better... A better, like societal or scientific understanding of sexual pleasure and sexual response and sexual behaviors. Because another thing that we found with creating Lioness was, as we were peeling back the layers of what research, what information is out there, what do different people know? There's a huge lack of data. Sexual pleasure and sexual response, particularly female sexual pleasure, but for everyone, for for the most part, and. Even with like even with like medical education, like you know, thinking about like if someone has a question, like they might go to a doctor or a healthcare worker. Most of the healthcare workers that I've been talking to, including OBGYNs, for the most part say that they didn't get an education on sexual function, sexual response, like how like they don't have that, they didn't get that knowledge from medical school or from their training. They might get it after their training if there's an interest, but it's It's just not something that they have. So we see this huge gap of information and being able to share information with people and with with experts. So that's really what the what surveys like this or what the research platform is, what what we see it being.
0: It's really surprising to hear about the, you know, lack of education and statistics around this, partly because it seems like it's something we're talking about so frequently. I feel like I'm reading, you know, articles all the time that explore the link between sexual pleasure and specifically mental wellness. And I'm curious if you think that it's important for consumers and brands to, you know, better understand this link and if so, kind of how would you go about
1: discussing that? I mean, I might be a little bit biased running a sexual wellness company, but I absolutely think that it's important for for people and for for businesses to start thinking about this in in their work because well for consumers, for people, it's obvious like everyone has some sort of sex life in some in some shape or form, you know, more or less sex or no sex or you know, that that no sex is a sex life too. Like. Just to put, put that out there also, sex is important in so many ways. Like, It, it affects your, your mental health, your, your relationships, if you have a relationship. There's also different links to your health that some are better studied than others, where an example that I like to share is like for erectile dysfunction. One of the big things with erectile dysfunction and the, the discovery of viagranialis is you're, like if you have problems with blood flow in the penis, you're going to have blood flow problems elsewhere. So it's it's almost like a canary in the coal mine for, for heart disease and for cardiovascular issues down the line. So I think there's a lot of potential to look at how the sex and sexual function, if something changes, it's not just like, oh, do I not, am I not interested in something? Am I less interested with my partner? It's also like, look at your health, look at your body, look at what's going on in your life. So Extremely important for consumers, <laughs> in a nutshell for for businesses, I mean, of course, it depends on what business you're doing, but I think there is more overlaps with sex for a lot of for a, a lot of products than than you might think. Like I think probably the, the one of the more obvious ones are some of the other different like health and iot devices where like for a long time that we didn't have period tracking for a lot of these different products. and I could get I could get into a whole rant for that, but that's another that's another podcast. But there's been like with some of the topics that are a little more difficult to talk about or difficult to broach, or even difficult for someone in a meeting room to bring up or discuss. It hasn't been something that's been well covered, and I think that that's a real missed opportunity because hormone changes, periods. Sex drive, sexual function, like all of those things play a role in our lives and in our health and our mental health and everything, just as well as exercise and sleep and our, you know, how well we're breathing if we're anxious or, you know, all, all of that stuff. So I think it's really important.
2: In in addition to what Liz has said, I, I think consumers are definitely getting a better understanding of how many different facets of their lives impact their mental wellness. So that's why we're seeing a boom in mental health, well, mental well-being initiatives that cater to issues such as financial wellness, workplace wellness, concepts that cater to moments of life upheaval like graduation or becoming a parent or even grieving So I think it's no surprise that there is this gaining interest in and acknowledgement of how sexual pleasure intersects with mental wellness as well as physical wellness.
0: So looking forward a little bit, you know, we've discussed a lot how this has been something that's how sexual well-being has changed during the pandemic and how the experience of pleasure has changed. But do you think this is going to uh, soak a long-term shift in how consumers approach sex and pleasure or, if we ever get back to normal, will we kind of return to our pre pandemic routines, whatever
2: those may have been?
1: It's a good question because I think, in some ways, one of the hurdles of people acknowledging and like knowing more about the different roles that sexual wellness plays in their lives also depends on how well we're able to get that message out there. Because one of the challenges that the pleasure a particular pleasure product industry has had for you know a long time in different ways is that it's difficult to do mass advertising like on like if you were to show up on a television show like there's certain words that you're not able to say and like you know historically and with even with like certain types of or certain media outlets like sometimes they have a certain angle where they might want to only bring up sex as like something that's very clickbaity and something and not something that's like a little more of an intellectual discourse or just like or in content that's a little more less you know sort of slapstick funny type of thing and there's different I understand the different reasons for that but it does make it more difficult at times to be able to just say like Here's this, you know, report on sex and you know sexual function, or these different types of topics under this umbrella, because it's not the same. It's not quite the same as like, I don't know, talking about like some cool, you know, fashion line that's coming out, or like, uh, you know, a new uh, iPhone or something like that. Like, there's a little more of this like mindset of it it's, it's a you know tough topic to broach. Some people are going to be more some like some people people have different opinions about sex being in the media or being in advertising or just being in the conversation even if it's just talking about the health side of sex too it's not i'm not even talking about like pornography and erotica it's just even just talking about the basic function of sex that's going to be sort of the question continuing on of like yeah people are going to people have been changing their opinions i'm finding people are much more um, comfortable with the topic and, you know, it's a part of our lives in different ways, but it's how our, how our different businesses and industries and the people who are in it going to incorporate that into their own practices, particularly with like mass communication, because yeah, you, you often have someone in there, someone in the middle management rungs who are like, I'm not comfortable with this. And if there's one person in that sort of food chain up, to the key decision maker usually the conversation just entirely just closes
2: there's something i'd really love to see in the the long term f- from findings from the pandemic as well especially from lioness as well is the understanding of how sex and desire is context specific so yes many consumers with was- stuck at home with their partners sometimes maybe they had extra time on their hands but that doesn't automatically equate to a situation that encourages desire and I think this is where brands outside of sex tech can really step in and support consumers so what rituals can they create to help people get in the mood and then how does this respond to how people are feeling inside and I think that's something that consumers would be really. It would be really good for them to tune into their desire triggers, as it were, just like the lioness vibrator records from a physical point of view. So Looking into
0: your crystal ball, what would you hope to see change around these conversations of sex and wellness and health in the next five years?
1: I think that what I would like to see in five years is that. There's more, more and more discourse in, in different places, not just the, the places where I am in uh, in sex tech, sexual health, where you know sort of, you know, you're kind of speaking in an echo chamber at times, but more places where there's at least an acknowledgement that sex and sexual health does play an important role in people's lives. Because I think right now there's we're starting to see some of that, which I think is is really good and it's a it's a good next step. But there's still there's still a lot of places, a lot of like both, you know, broadcasted outside or in more enclosed meeting rooms where there's still this fear of like people tell me like in businesses and like in in business meetings and then also just in general too, sometimes like this is really important. I want to support you or I want to support Lioness or sex Tech or whatnot, but I'm afraid what someone higher up, my higher ups, my managers think. If I were to do something with this, like there's always this, they, like they're like I'm comfortable with this topic. I think it's important, but I'm I'm afraid of what other people think. I'm afraid of my reputation. You know, if I were to support something in sex tech, so there there is still some of that fear, and my hope is that we can start moving past some of that.
2: Ellie, do you have any predictions here? My hope for the next few years, similar to Liz, really is just that the discourse becomes even more inclusive it's already a really encouragingly inclusive space there's lots of companies that are already catering to trans bodies disabled bodies and every every time sort of not even a niche of society but real valid consumers having their, their needs and their desires addressed is always such an exciting and hopeful time. So an area that I would really like to see more representation for is the kind of move away from, from the sex and desire discourse being so focused on sort of youth and and discover the areas of what does it mean to starting start exploring your desires and your sexuality as an old older consumer and what does that mean if you go through a divorce and you're starting your your romantic life and you and what it means in the context of menopause as well I think that's something that has been left out of the conversation but We are seeing some development in that area already with some representation of older consumers in adverts for the sex tech industry and designs for, I think, Amelia, you wrote a great uh, blog post for Stylus. It was about a sex tech company that's making uh, devices that were catering to this older cohort. So that is something that I'm really hoping we see more and more of. I just mentioned something
1: with the, like, in terms of older consumers, yeah, it's kind of funny because one of, or something that that like, is surprising to some people, but one of our largest cohorts in our, like as Lioness users are people in their like late 40s through early 60s. Basically like when they, when some people see Lioness, it's like, it's a vibrator with an app. That must be something that the kids like because, you know, it's like kids and apps and stuff like that. But like really like some of our most, like devoted customers are women uh, primarily women in that in that age group because they they know that you know sex plays an important role in their lives they know that there's there's different things going on with their with their bodies and with their lives in general during that time period not even just menopause and yeah i think there's one little thing with that with like talking about menopause is i think sometimes it there's sort of this sense of, like, you want to, like, put get a product or a brand and say, like, this is for menopause and, like, have it as, like, the, you know, headline thing. But for some consumers, like, that's, you know, it's not what they're looking for. Like, some people, they just want to, like, for lioness users, I think, they just they want to explore. They want to learn more. And, yeah, it's, like, it doesn't have to, like, products that are for menopause, like, with the label on it, it doesn't have to be just those products that will be helpful to, Consumers of different ages or of different demographics too, in general.
0: So we finish each episode by asking our guests three quickfire questions, and the first is: If you had a million dollars, where would you invest it right now?
1: I mean, as a as an entrepreneur, like I would probably either if it's personally to me, like I'd probably split it between my own personal invest, my own you know just invested personally for myself or I invest some of it into the company like because that's the you know the company is part of my life so that that's where i would do it
0: and what's a consumer problem or challenge that you don't think has been successfully solved
1: yet so i think i think an area that we haven't addressed well we're starting to talk about it but i think we i think people need to work on this. We all need to work on this better is products and services for people who are older. So, or people who are getting older. So particularly people in the like late forties and up group, forties, sixties, and, you know, even, even beyond that, because there's a lot of products out there that say like, Oh, this is for people who are older. or This is for people who are in menopause as, you know, two examples and like, I don't think as like a you know brand or something that you would want to or that you want or need or want to get. like if I were that age, I wouldn't want to be reminded all the time that I'm getting old or that I'm like losing my strength or becoming might be becoming less independent or being questioned as such, or you know anything that kind of comes with these stereotypes of getting older like for for lioness, a lot of people, a lot of people who are our most excited consumers are people in that late forties to early sixties group. And we don't plaster like this is for older people on our product because it's for anyone who's curious and who wants to explore. So it's, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done for companies to think about how do you advertise to people in that demographic? It's not just saying you're old, here's a thing. Like it needs to be much better.
2: What's
0: an individual or brand that you look to for inspiration in your work?
1: I think Sephora is a really interesting brand to to look at for inspiration for for a lot of different consumer companies because they, they do a great job with not just selling, you know, different products, you know, a whole array of different products, but also holding your hand through finding different types of products, introducing you to new things and like really, and then, you know, no matter if you're like a, you know, Makeup newbie like I am, or also a like a makeup expert like some of like other shoppers might be. Like I actually just uh, did a consultation yesterday because I'm like I need to learn how to do makeup. Like I'm doing more video calls, like you know, or you know, video interviews and doing more you know tutorials and things. I'm showing my face more. I need to figure out what to do with the space. I've never learned that and they had a class like they have like individualized classes where they just hold your hand through things and recommend different products or techniques or things. So it's, it's, it's a great brand. It's great to kind of see what they're doing and see how you can use that for other companies and other industries.
0: Fantastic. Well, that was a fascinating and wide ranging conversation into the mechanics, and business of pleasure and sexual wellness. And I want to thank my guests, Liz and Elspeth, for joining me on our taboo-busting discussion. And I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylists. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylists, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at Stylist.com. And If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever
2: you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.